described the hellfire, he said it is much more intense if they only have knowledge and understanding. So when you reflect over a few words of the Quran, it makes yani, the heat that you experience in this life, whether it is outdoors or indoors, a little bit easier. We ask Allah to save us from the hellfire. My brothers and sisters in Islam, tonight's lecture is about 10 ways in how one can avoid sins and be patient when avoiding sins and keeping away from them altogether. And these 10 ways are 10 ways that Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah mentioned in his book, Tariqul Hijratain wa Babu Sa'adatain. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah was a phenomenal scholar. And he wrote an extremely incredible beneficial book. He titled it, Tariqul Hijratain wa Darul Sa'adatain wa Babu Sa'adatain, which means the two paths of migration and the two gates of happiness. What he meant by the title is that each and every single believer is supposed to undergo two migrations in his life. One migration to Allah Azza wa Jal. How do you migrate to Allah? By embracing the oneness of Allah Azza wa Jal, loving Allah Azza wa Jal, fearing Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, being certain of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, and so on. This is how you migrate to Allah Azza wa Jal obeying his commands, and so on. And the other path of migration is to migrate to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And we migrate to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam by embracing his sunnah and following his path and his sunnah in all aspects of life. Allah and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentioned this. فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ And then he titled the book the two gates of happiness. Meaning, this book is going to speak about matters that if you are to do and implement in your life, it will bring you happiness in this life and in the next life. So that's the title of the book. And he collected in this book many things, particularly focusing on al-iman and the actions of the heart. So he would speak about the different levels of iman. You know that the highest level of Iman is Yaqeen, to have absolute certain belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the second level underneath that is As-Sabr, to be patient, right? And there are lots of levels for Al-Iman. There's Al-Shukr, Al-Rida, uh, there's Al-Inaba, Al-Tawakkul, Al-Raja, Al-Khawf, and so on. This is what he focused on in the book. So we're opening up inshallah ta'ala tonight to the chapter of patience. And patience, my brothers and sisters in Islam, must be exercised in three matters. You must be patient when it comes to the worship of Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah Azza wa Jal, he says, Worship him and be patient upon his worship. Every salat requires patience. Every wudu requires patience. Anytime you obey Allah's command, it requires patience. Wearing al-hijab in summer and in winter and whatever time it is, requires patience. Every worship you do requires patience. Waking up for Salat al-Fajr every single day, no break, no Sunday off, no nothing, making wudu, praying, that requires patience. So that's the first type in which patience is supposed to be exercised. 
The second type of patience, it is supposed to be exercised when avoiding sins. Avoiding sins, you need to be patient. When a person avoids a sin, he earns reward because he exercised patience. There is a desire, there is a temptation that is dragging the person to commit a sin and you're restraining, you're holding yourself back, you're fighting your nafs, you're fighting the evil temptations and whispers of the shaitan. That requires patience. That is patience. And the third type of patience, or the type, third type of matter in where patience is supposed to be exercised, is upon the calamities and tribulations of life. There is not a single one of us here, except that he is going through calamities. You've been through them already. You're probably going through one now. Or you'll go through some other calamities later on. In your health, in your wealth, loss of life, loss of health, loss of family, whatever it is. And you need to exercise patience during these moments. Whoever exercised patience in these three matters, he has mastered patience. He has mastered patience. And he earns huge reward on the day of judgment. In fact, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu said, Iman is two things. This is, according to Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, he explained, when he explained the deen altogether. He said, Iman is two things. Half of Iman is patience, and the other half is a shukr, gratitude. That's it. You will find yourself every single day and every moment of the day and the night, either you're engaging in sabr, or either you are engaging in an act of shukr. One of the two. A sabr, to keep away from the prohibitions. And when you do the commandments of Allah, you pray, you fast, and you do what Allah wants you to do, this is gratitude. This is gratitude. And the believer is like this. He does what Allah commands, and he keeps away from Allah what Allah forbid. Keeping away from what Allah forbid requires sabr. Doing what Allah commanded is, is shukr. And yani, we explained what we explained and put that all together, you'll understand what Iman is. So we're going to talk about 10 ways to remain patient and restrain yourself from sins. Wallah, my brothers and sisters in Islam, this is a huge and a great topic for anyone who is concerned about his relationship with Allah Azza The one who is not concerned about his relationship with Allah, this won't make sense to him. But the one who is concerned about the standing before Allah, how is he going to meet Allah? How is he going to stand before Allah? The one who's concerned and worried, this is going to be indeed a great and a huge topic of importance for him. I want to begin by saying that al-ulama rahimahumullah have mentioned that keeping away from the prohibitions, avoiding sins and avoiding haram, is much better than engaging in voluntary acts. Doing the obligations, that's much better. But avoiding a sin is much better than a voluntary night prayer. It's much better than a voluntary fasting of Monday and Thursday. It is much better than a voluntary hajj. And this is the opinion of Aisha radiallahu anha. Al-Hasan ibn Ali radiallahu anhu of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz ibn Rajab and so many other ulama and why is this the case? because keeping away from prohibitions is an obligation it is wajib 
When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِذَا نَهَيْتُكُمْ عَنْ شَيْءٍ فَاجْتَنِبُوهُ Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, If I forbid you of something, then keep away from it. اجتنبوه comes from the word jump, side. Meaning you on one side and the sin on another side. Keep away from it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا الْفَوَاحِشَ مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا وَمَا بَطَنَ Allah azza wa jal, he said, do not approach immoralities and sins. Whatever is apparent of them and whatever is hidden. Meaning the apparent sins keep away from it. Like lying, that's on the tongue, it's apparent. Stealing, al-zina, al-riba, keep away. And also keep away from the internal sins. Like hypocrisy, envy, jealousy, the sins of the heart. You've got to keep away from all of these matters. And you know what the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said? He said, ittaqil maharim takun a'bad al-nas. He said, avoid the sins and you will be the most pious of people. You see? Avoiding sins is much better than engaging in voluntary acts. Because doing voluntary acts is mustahab, it's recommended. But avoiding sins is wajib. And the wajib overrides and is prioritized over voluntary acts. The voluntary acts, feeding the poor, helping the orphan, and all of these matters. Everyone does this. Everyone does voluntary acts, right? The righteous, the rebellious, everyone's there. But only the true believer avoids sins. Only the true believer can avoid it. Well, Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah has a beautiful word. He says, مَا عَبَدَ الْعَابِدُونَ بِشَيْءٍ أَفْضَلَ بِتَرْكِهِمْ مَا نَهَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ He said, the best thing a worshipper can do concerning his servitude to Allah is avoid what Allah prohibited for him. That's the best thing you can do as a slave of Allah Azza to avoid the haram and to avoid the sins. And listen to what Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu says. He says, رَدُّ دَانِقْ مِمَّا يَكْرَهُ اللَّهِ أَحَبُّ إِلَى اللَّهِ مِنْ He said to return a daniq. A daniq is sixths of a dirham, meaning 0.65 grams of gold. Like a little bit of gold, less than a gram. To return less than a gram of gold, of haram wealth, is better than doing 500 voluntary hajj. Then the 500 voluntary hajj is recommended. But this is haram. It is obligatory to get rid of the haram. For this is better than this. Where from those who are under the shade of Allah Azza wa Jal on the day of judgment, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says one of the categories is a man who was approached by a woman. Not any kind of woman. A woman who has status. She has a reputation. She is known in the community. And on top of this, she is pretty. A beautiful looking girl. So this man was approached by such a woman. And he said to her, Inni Allah puts him under his shade. And this is also true for a woman. If she was approached by a man, and he asked her for zina, and she said to him, I fear Allah, she's included in the hadith. But the hadith was worded 
with a man because it more, mostly, most likely happens with men. Right? Like Yusuf alayhi salam. He was approached by a woman of great caliber and status. And she was good looking as well. Because that's much more difficult to reject. Because when she's of great status and you don't do what she says, she might blackmail you. So you might fall into the sin and say, you know what, I've just got to keep her shut, so I need to do what I need to do. That type of woman to say, Allah and go away, has incredible reward under the shade of Allah. The idea is, can you see and understand now how important it is for a believer to avoid sins? The one who keeps away from major sins and fights himself against it is better than the one who engages in Nawafil Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. He said, he defined what piety is. He said piety is not to pray the, all the nights and fast the days. Anyone can do this. He said true piety, you know, that's a part of piety. True piety is to do what Allah commands and to keep away from what Allah forbid. That's the true piety. When they discussed the word haram and they defined it in terms of its consequence, they said, The sin, al-haram is, if you avoid it, you earn reward. And if you commit it, you earn sins. See that? Just by avoiding the haram, you are being rewarded. Why? Because we said you need patience to avoid the haram, and that patience you're getting rewarded for it. Right. Let's speak about these ten reasons, now that we have understood the seriousness of this topic. My brothers and sisters in Islam, you focus and you pay attention. My job is to explain it as easy as I can, and as simple as I can. You're going to count, inshallah. The more you have of these ways, the better for you and the more protection. If you have one of these ten, alhamdulillah, start working on attaining the others. The less you have, the less protection you have from sins. The more you have, the more protection. Let's start bi ta'ala. Number one, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he said, ilm al-abdi bi-qubhiha wa radalatiha wa danaiha. Number one is for the servant to know and acknowledge and realize that sins are repulsive, abhorrent, despicable, disgusting, and they are filthy in nature. That's the first thing you should realize that sins are disgusting. Allah Azza wa Jal, He only forbids sins because they are disgusting and filthy and nasty. And when you are aware of this fact, this becomes a reason for why a person remains patient in avoiding sins altogether. I tell you something. The normal human being whose fitrah is still intact, his natural disposition hasn't been deviated and it hasn't changed. A normal human being runs away from anything that is disgusting. You know that? If you smell something disgusting, what happens? We can see the reaction in your face and you run away. If you taste something disgusting and bad, 
you spit it out, you vomit it, and you never touch it ever again. If you see something disgusting, once you walk into a public toilet and you saw urine all over the toilet, the smell, the look, you look, you run out. You'll hold it and you'll run out of there and you won't even go in. That's the natural human being. He's disgusted. And he runs away from filth and dirt. This is the normal human being. The normal human being loves what's good. He comes to that which is good, to that which is pleasant. And he keeps away from that which is filthy. This is why when Allah Azza wa referred to sins in the Quran, look at the kind of words used. Al-Munkar, detested, condemned matters. Al-Dhamb, Al-Dhamb is a sin. It comes from the word Dhanab, which is the tail of an animal. Imagine being served the tail of an animal. Would you eat it? That's what it's called. That's what a sin is, Al-Dhamb. Al-Khaba'ith, look at the word, Al-Khaba'ith, how it comes out. There's, there's like heaviness to it. Khaba'ith means disgusting, filthy, evil matters. Al-Fawahish. Look at the word. Min al-fuhsh. Horrible. Evil. Immoralities. Vulgarities. Shamelessness. Al-munkar. And so on. These are the words used for sins. And there is a very important principle to understand here. And that is that Allah Azza wa never forbids anything upon us except that it is harmful, damaging and destructive to us to our bodies and to our souls. If someone asks, why is this haram? Why is this a sin? Automatically the answer is because it's harmful. It's harmful to the heart, to the body. It's harmful to society. It's harmful to your iman. It's harmful to your grave when you enter in the grave. It's harmful for your hereafter. It's harmful for your relationship with Allah. In every aspect you look at a sin, it's harmful in every direction. There is zero goodness in it. Taking some examples, we look at alcohol. How many times does the news from time to time, there's a new research that says 0.3 mils, 300 mils of alcohol is good for human health. Only two years later, recent study has found that zero alcohol is good for your health. Then the next year, actually one cup a week is good. Then again, no, not all of it is good. Is that because these people don't have wahi? So they are confused between it's good, it's not good, and they'll remain like this until the world ends. The believer knows of the harmful nature of alcohol, its destruction to the soul, to the mind, to society, and all of this. And of course it's haram because of its filth and its disgust and its harms to a person and to everything that is related to this person. You look at drugs, same thing. What goodness is there in drugs? Name one goodness. There's nothing. It is all bad. Addiction, suffering, murders, standovers. Call it what you want. A person loses his mind. He doesn't pray. He leaves in Islam, al-Iman, and the lot. Pork, and how disgusting. And how harmful is it to a person? Al-riba. Al-riba is harmful. Look at the oppression it's done. They speak about, this is the recent ninth interest rise. How damaging. What has it done to people's mental health? What has it done to people financially? Had al-riba. 
It's harmful to society, to its people. People commit suicide because of their financial situation as a result of a riba. Everything Allah made haram is harmful to the human. Smoking, vaping, shisha, the time you kill, the time you spend, harmful. A zina, AIDS, HIV, genital warts. It's harmful to society as zina. Kids are abandoned. They are murdered. Here in Australia, abortion is illegal until about six months. Sure, six months. And this is a boy. This is a, this is an actual, actual child. He's surgically cut up and removed one piece after the other. Abortion leads to the sin of murder. And if it's after six months, you need approval of two doctors and they'll remove him. That's as a result of zina. Homosexuality. Anal cancer. That's harmful. Anal cancer. Genital warts. HIV. AIDS. HPV. Human papillomavirus. Hepatitis ABC. There is no cure for these matters at all. You'll be on treatment for the rest of your life. Huh? And you know, just like on the smoking packet they have up the top, you know when you buy we don't buy it, we don't buy it. But when you see someone buying it or you see it in the store, there's a warning up the top. Bad for your, or it gives lung damage, lung cancer, kidney cancer, and they've got these filthy, disgusting images. And, and I believe that this is the same thing that should be done with every rainbow flag. They should be up the top a human with anal cancer. So that at least people are aware of the harms and the damage that it does to human health. Very simple. So everything Allah Azza wa made haram is harmful. It's disgusting. It's filthy. It's terrible. And I said to you, a human being that is sane and that is normal, he'll see the disgust in these things and he runs away from it. And that's why Allah Azza wa declared them haram because they are harmful. So the intelligent person keeps away from harmful matter, even if he wasn't a believer. And we're just speaking about someone with a mind, an intellectual mind. He's still sane. Even if he was not a believer, a normal human being runs away from that which is filthy. And it was mentioned that some of the Arabs would never drink alcohol. And when they are asked, they would answer saying, how can a sane, sound-minded person intoxicate himself and act like an idiot in the street and like an idiot in his home in front of his family. These are kuffar Arabs that had enough self-respect to keep away from that which would make them look like idiots. But sometimes some matters may be confusing. You might see them as good. There's a sin, but you might not. How is this a sin? I can't see it as being a sin actually looks good but the reality it is a sin and it's bad and it's harmful but what has happened is that the shaytan's main role on earth is to decorate the sin didn't Allah say that the shaytan decorates the sin he makes it look good but in reality it is bad what do you do in those cases when you're confused and you don't know if it's disgusting and it's harmful and it's a sin, you think it's good. That's why you need knowledge. 
How are you going to avoid something when you don't know what to avoid? So you will need knowledge. Which shaitan has been doing this trick and this game from day one. Like what he did with Adam alayhi salam in the paradise. Allah Azza wa forbid upon Adam a tree. He said, do not come next to this tree. A shaitan would whisper to Adam and say to him, Hal adulluka ala shajaratil khuld. Shall I direct you to shajaratil khuld? Look at the beautiful name he gave it. He decorated the sin. He said, this is a tree of eternity. Meaning, come, eat from the tree and you will remain in this paradise forever. If you eat from it, one of two good things could happen. You and your wife will either be angels in the paradise. If you're angels, you'll never leave. You'll be there forever. You'll never come out. This is a filthy tree. And he's calling it the eternal tree. The tree that will give you life forever in the paradise. That's what the shaitan does. He decorates the sin. And his trick continues until this very day. Homosexuality is a rainbow, beautiful colors, deceptive colors, but that's how it's decorated. And love is love. Drugs, they have all these different names to them. Speed, ice, sounds nice and refreshing. Shaitan has done this. Ecstasy, ecstasy means what? It means happiness. That's what ecstasy means. Alcohol is called spirits. Spirits, yeah, and as though if you're down, drink it and your spirit will rise. This is its name. Uh, suicide. Assisted suicide. Now it is. Euthanasia. No. Suicide. Assisted suicide is available. If you don't want to live, you can go sign a few papers and you die. But assisted suicide, they've given it a new name. What's the guilt called? Euthanasia. Voluntary euthanasia. You know what euthanasia means? Who's come across this word? It's a word that originated in the early 17th century from the Greek word euthanos. Eu means well. Thanos means death. Euthanasia means a good death. And they call it mercy killing as well. Shuf what the shaitan has done. He's taken the name and decorated it and presented it to the people. It looks nice. So if the believer doesn't have knowledge, he'll be confused about what the sin is and what is haram. As a result, seeking knowledge becomes very important. So that's the first matter. To know that sins are filthy in nature and the normal human being automatically keeps away from that which is filthy. Number one, understood? Shayyid. Number two, in order to avoid sins, one must have hayaun min Allah, shyness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah says, when the servant knows that Allah is looking at him, watching over him, and he sees him and he hears him, he becomes too shy in front of Allah azzawajal to commit a sin. He becomes too shy. You know, Shyness in Arabic is what? What's the word? Al-Hayat. Al-Hayat comes from the word Hay. Hay means alive. The one who has shyness in his heart, his heart is alive. The one who is not shy, his heart is dead. 
Having shyness of Allah will most definitely allow you to control yourself when it comes to a sin. I tell you something, my brothers and sisters in Islam. Today, no one will dare to commit a sin in front of his father or his mother or his husband or his wife or even in front of a young child. Why? Because he's shy. Because he knows he is doing something dirty and filthy. And I don't want people to see me in this state. But subhanAllah, <laughs> were people going to judge you on the day of judgment? Why were you shy of them? And not shy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he is your Lord and you will stand in front of him answering for what you did. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he defined the sin, he said, وَكَرِهْتَ أَنْ يَطَّلِعَ عَلَيْهِ النَّاسِ that's how some, if, you're, if you're confused about what a sin is, it's the things that you dislike people seeing you do. That's a sin. Subhanallah today, if someone is in a room alone and he hears the squeaking of a door, he's immediate to drop the haram and fix himself up. And then when he realizes it was the wind that played with the door, he's relieved. Alhamdulillah, it wasn't my child or my wife or yani, how can this be the state of a believer the question is wasn't Allah seeing you all this time see I give you a solution my brothers and sisters in Islam whenever you approach to commit a sin there is most definitely and always and you'll agree with me a noise in your head that is telling you Allah is watching most definitely if you don't have that then you're not a believer Every believer believes that Allah sees him. No one is in denial of this fact. And this type of feeling and noise that's in your mind and body and soul at the time when approaching a sin. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam refers to it in the hadith as It is the warner of Allah that exists in the heart of every believer. That's Allah's warning in your heart. That's how Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam described that feeling. I tell you something, when you approach to commit a sin, what you need to do, do not silence and suppress this noise and feeling. Rather take advantage of it and bring it aloud to your body and onto your tongue. Take advantage. When you approach a sin, say Allah watches over me. Say it aloud. Don't bury it. Say it aloud right then and there. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't gonna cost you anything. Just say Allah can see me. Allah said in the Quran, Alam ya'lam yara? Doesn't he know and isn't he aware that Allah can see? At that moment, answer Allah. Say, yes, I know that you can see me. Allah says, They hide away from Allah and they do they hide away from people and they do not hide away from Allah. And he is with them, he can see them and fully aware of what they do. So turn to yourself and say, Allah, Allah, I know that you can see me and I'm aware of the fact that you can see me. Say it loud. Yusuf alayhi salam, when the woman approached him and said, hey talak, she locked the doors, she shut them, she sealed them tightly. And she said to him, I'm prepared for you. Hey talak, Allahu Akbar. Imagine that. Well, what's more than this as a fitna? A beautiful looking pretty woman that is young and she's the wife of the king of Egypt so this is a lady of status you have to listen to her otherwise she'll get you in serious trouble 
Yusuf السلام, a young beautiful man that was given the beauty of all of creation half of creation at that moment he said Allah. he screamed the word Allah at that moment when you approach the sin say the word Allah Allah, meaning I seek refuge in Allah I seek Allah's protection from this evil that is in front of me right now Aren't you shy of Allah Aren't you shy that you will disobey Allah with a blessing that He has given you? When you sin with your eyes, the eyes was a blessing. It deserved gratitude. Not ingratitude and disobey Allah with it. When you sin with your hands, these were a blessing. You were supposed to make shukr and say Alhamdulillah. Instead, you used them for a sin. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, وَلَا يَثْقُلُ مَعَسْمِ اللَّهِ شَيْءٍ Nothing outweighs the name of Allah. What does that mean? It means at the moment when you are most tempted and you continue to say, مَعَاذَ اللَّهِ And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, the name of Allah outweighs everything. Meaning if your desire is on one side of the scale, and Allah's mention is on the other side of the scale, what happens to your desire? It goes away. It cannot weigh with the name of Allah. So very soon, you will find that your heart overcomes the desire and overcomes the sin. Because it's impossible. If you say Allah, Allah with a firm heart, with honesty and certainty and sincerity, the thing that you're comparing it with and you're fighting, using it to fight, is the desire, the sin. That'll go. It'll evaporate. All of a sudden, you'll find yourself, Alhamdulillah, I overcame the sin. After that happens, and you find that Allah is like an ice that has dropped on fire, and the fire of the sin and the lust begins to extinguish and turn off straight away get up and move from that place get up hurry up because this is where the shaitan came to you and he will come again when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam once when he was with the companions they slept at night and they did not wake up until the sun had risen meaning what they missed salat al-fajr naam Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the companions missed salat al-fajr the narration is in Sahih al-Bukhari. When the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam got up and they wanted to pray Salat al-Fajr, he said to the companions, move from here because this is a place asabatkum fihi ghaflah. This is a place in which heedlessness got the better of us. This is a place that we sinned in. So let's move from here. And he moved them and then he prayed somewhere else. Even though if you miss the prayer, you're supposed to pray it as soon as you remember it. It's urgent, but moving away is more urgent so that you don't get tempted to do the sin again. And even if you looked at the story of Yusuf السلام, to continue it, right, he did say, Allah, I seek Allah's protection. But then you know what he did? He didn't just stand there looking at him. Allah said, They rushed to the door. He said, Allah, and he ran to the door. As soon as he got to the door, you know what happened? What happened? 
Her husband was at the door. He opened the door. You know what that means? Finally, relief came. Pollos, he's not, that temptation of the sin is gone. Oh, there's someone's there. How much? How much time between the desire, the temptation, and relief? It's the matter of getting up and moving. That's it. It's gone. Get up. Call a friend. Go somewhere. And respect your weakness. Respect your weakness. The human being is weak. He can fall into the sin once again. You know, when a person comes out from surgery, where do they take him? His bed rolls into the ICU, yeah? The intensive care unit. When you're in the intensive care unit, why is it called intensive care? Because there are nurses 24-7 around you. They don't leave you. So they're around, they're after, looking what you need, monitoring the machines, until you get better. And that's your state when you come out of a possible sin that you almost committed. Respect your weakness. You're like that person in the ICU. You need people around you. You need the nurse. You need the righteous people around you. You need an environment of goodness. You cannot just think, Allah, I'll come back. Then most definitely shaitan will come once again. Now, and I give you some good news. When you walk away from the sight of sinning, you almost sinned, but you walked away. Do you think you walk away empty-handed? Wallahi la. Wallah, number one, you walk away having fulfilled an obligation. And that is to keep away from a sin. And that, we said, is better than many voluntary deeds. You walk away with refreshed and renewed iman. Right? Your iman just increased. That is how a person can increase and refresh his iman. You walked away with genuine fear of Allah. But someone really, you genuinely fear Allah. Alhamdulillah, thank Allah for the ni'mah that he's given you. And you walk away with a, with a complete good deed. النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يسد من هم بسيئات فلم يعملها كتبت له حسنة كاملة Whoever desired to commit a sin and he ended up not doing it Allah would grant him one full حسنة ما شاء الله That's the second way Shyness of Allah All of this discussion was about being shy of Allah You can only be shy of Allah if you remember Allah at the second you are committing the sin Number three a third way in how a person can avoid the sin is to contemplate Allah's favors upon you and his kindness upon you and to know that sins most definitely remove blessings and this is inevitable. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Allah has blessed us immeasurably. His blessings upon us are immeasurable. How many has he given? Can you count? Allah, no one can count. Allah promised on top of this, If you continue to remain grateful for Allah, He will continue to increase you in blessings. And not a single person that commits a sin except that Allah removes a blessing from him due to that sin. If you repent, Allah returns this blessing for you. Or he replaces it with something similar. But if a person persists upon the sin, the blessing does not return. If a person continues to sin, blessings are removed, one after the other, until the blessings are completely gone. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "Inna Allah la yughayyiru ma biqoum, hatta yughayyiru ma bi anfusihim." You've probably heard the ayah a hundred times. 
and a hundred times you heard it, you heard it with the incorrect understanding. How do people translate the ayah? Allah will not change a people until they change what's in themselves. That's not the primary understanding of the ayah. The ayah means, as Allah Azza wa Jal said in Surah Al-Anfal, ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّ اللَّهَ لَمْ يَكُمْ مُغَيِّرًا نِعْمَةً أَنْعَامَهَا عَلَىٰ قَوْمٍ حَتَّى يُغَيِّرُوا مَا بِأَنفُسِهِمْ What it means is that Allah Azza wa Jal will not change the condition of a people. Meaning, He will not change their good condition into a bad condition until they themselves go from obedience to disobedience. That's what the ayah means. Even the ayah is saying that Allah Azza wa Jal has blessed you. He's given you blessings and a good state health and wealth and whatever it is of the provisions. He does not change this. He continues to give it and provide more and more and increase it so long as you are grateful. But when you change from gratitude to ingratitude, from obedience to disobedience, then it is only expected that the blessings and the good state will go from good to bad. You make a tawbah is still far. Allah Azza wa Jal would replace and return the blessed state and good state that you are in. Now, so since they don't only take away worldly blessings, that would have been يعني, half an issue. But the problem is that sins also eat up on spiritual blessings. And that's very dangerous. The greatest blessing that Allah has given us is Iman and our belief in Allah. And the sins. Fornication, stealing, intoxication, riba gambling, backbiting, cheating. They rob faith and they remove iman until a person is left with no iman. Some of the Salaf, they would say, I committed a sin and I was deprived of the night prayer for an entire year. See how it affected his iman? You might find yourself, you can no longer attend the masjid and listen to an Islamic lecture and pray with the believers in jama'ah. Why? Maybe that's because of a sin. Allah deprived you of the goodness of al-masjid. Maybe, it could be. You might have some knowledge, memorize some Qur'an, you forgot it. it. Could be a sin. Knowledge is gone. These are all blessings. Some people came to some of the salaf and they said, we used to pray the nights and we're not able to pray anymore. He immediately answered and he said, Your sins have shackled you and held you back. Others would say, I committed a sin and I was deprived from understanding parts of the Quran. That's what happens. Ultimately, Adam السلام, was removed from the blessing of the paradise because of a sin he committed. Didn't that happen? So concerning this, if you have a blessing, and you would like to retain it and protect it, then keep away from the sin. That's what the third point is teaching us. Look at your blessings. You want them? You want Allah Azza wa Jal to safeguard them for you? To preserve them? To multiply them? To increase them? Then keep away from sins. You don't want them? Sin. It's up to you. Yani in summary, Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah says, sins are fire that consume blessings just as a fire consumes firewood. And then he said, we seek refuge in Allah from losing the favors he has bestowed upon us or our safety and security be changed to other than that. Now, number four. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah mentions the fourth way in which he can avoid a sin 
is to fear Allah Azza wa Jal and dread His punishment. And this can only be achieved if you have knowledge of the punishment of Allah. You need to know the punishment of Allah. What Allah has prepared for the rebellious and for the sinners. The more knowledge you know about the hellfire and the punishment of Allah and the punishment of the grave, the more this way would work for you. I'll tell you something. The greatest fear in life is the fear of Allah. Isn't that true? You might fear a dog or a lion or someone or whatever it is that you fear of this world in life. But none of it comes near your fear of Allah That's a true believer. The greatest fear that exists in his heart is the fear of Allah and Allah's anger and wrath and punishment. And fearing Allah would mean that you place a barrier, a protection between you and his punishment. That's what the fear of Allah means. The fear of Allah doesn't mean that you go and sit in a corner paralyzed and crippled and crying all day and night. That's not healthy fear, that's bad fear. The healthy, good fear of Allah is the fear that enables you and motivates you and gets you up so that you do something and put a barrier between you and Allah fire and his punishment and nothing is going to protect you from Allah's punishment more than you avoiding sins in all their forms a shirk minor and major sins minor and major and innovations because sins are a cause of punishment so if you avoided sins you avoided the punishment and of course in addition to this October and doing the obligations and the other things that remove you from the hellfire and the punishment this is why there were many ayat in the Quran that described the punishment in the most horrific manner you know how many ayat in the Quran that described the punishment of Allah already they start from Surah Al-Baqarah Ali Imran, An-Nisa, there's something in there everywhere in the Quran there's something and Allah when he describes his punishment this is actually Allah's mercy upon the slaves because he's warning you you know today there are people that I don't know they're into climbing Mount Everest you know Mount Everest there in Nepal wherever it is people want to climb when they spend almost 60,000 American dollars per person to climb takes about three months to get up to the summit they call it the peak and come down big money training this is what people live for that's their purpose in life I got to the summit but as soon as you begin there's lots of warning signs be aware severe headaches might happen vomiting you will walk like a drunk this is written on the on the warning sign increased tiredness shortness of breath at rest yani warnings of high altitude and the sicknesses that can happen with this deadly crevice you know what a crevice is yani you're walking on the snow and all of a sudden there's an opening meters one two three hundred meters you can't abort the mission so they put a ladder and they walk it in hope that they might make it to the other side if you fall finished all these warnings and in red and the training is telling you warning 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 at your own risk at your own risk and 
and a couple of tens of people die a year. And no one picks them up, halas, they stay there. Because the body, when it freezes up, up, up in those high altitudes, it becomes very difficult to hold. And even though everyone is there with each other, but every man is for himself because I need to retain my energy to get up and come down. Anyway, these are the signs and the warnings. But you know, I'm telling you all this to say what? We warned you. If you go, something happens. We, that was my mercy to you. I told you. I told them. Come on, blame me. I told you. The highest of example, Allah details, in detail, tells us the punishment of the hellfire and the punishment of the grave. Allah says that those that are in the fire, scalding, hot, boiling water is poured over their head. Not water that burned on the kettle 100 degrees. We're talking about something that we've never seen in our life and experienced. As soon as it gets to their head, Allah says, Everything that is within their bellies will begin to melt. And their skin melts. And in addition to this, they are struck with iron clubs. Allah says in Surah Al-Kahf that you read every Friday, Indeed, we have prepared for the wrongdoers a fire whose walls will surround it. The fire is in here and there is a wall that surrounds, meaning you cannot escape. And if those that are inside the fire were to ever call for relief, they're calling out for some relief, for some water, they will be answered. How will they, answer? How will they be answered? They'll be given water that is like murky oil, that is extremely hot. It barbecues the face. It burns the face. What a horrible drink that is. What an evil resting place that is. Why these ayat in the Quran? Primarily to deter you from doing the sin. So the more knowledge you have of Allah's punishment and its detail, it keeps you away from the sin. I'll give you an example. Let's say there are two rooms here. And I say to you, in this room, there is a young, pretty, beautiful woman. And there is a cup of wine. Jayit. Go in, close the door, do what you like. But when you come out, there'll be a group of guards that will escort you to the room that's next to it. And that room is on fire. We're going to throw you in there. If you go in and do what you want to do, you're going to come out, you're going to be thrown right in here. Now, in this world, if this happened, who would go in? No one would go in. So her mother got the fire. Why? Why didn't you go in? Why? Because I can see the fire. What Allah told us, is more of a reality than what the eye can see. Because this is Allah's word. It is the truth. And it is certain and it is definite. If you were in a room sinning and it caught fire, would you sit and continue your sin until you finish? No. You'd get up and you walk away. That's the idea. The idea is that these things are in us. You just got to look through examples in life and relate it to your deen and you'll understand exactly how it's possible to avoid a sin. 
focus and study the punishment of the grave, what happens in there. The idea is that the more knowledge you have of the punishment of Allah and what Allah Azzawajal has prepared for the sinners and the rebellious, the more you'll keep away from sins. Allah Azzawajal, he said, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهِ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءِ It is only the most knowledgeable that will fear Allah Azzawajal. That's true knowledge. True knowledge is what will lead you to fearing Allah Azzawajal and avoiding these sins. Salaf rahimahumullah, some of them they used to say, knowledge is sufficient to have fear of Allah. Meaning if you have knowledge of the punishment of Allah, that is enough to keep you on your toes, avoiding sins and fearing Allah. And they said ignorance is sufficient to deceive a person or to be deceived by Allah's kindness. And I'll tell you something. The foolish, the foolish, as Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah said, are those who understand the ayat of Allah's mercy and compassion as a concession to sin. That's the foolish. He looks at the ayat of mercy and forgiveness and paradise and says, oh, this Lord is merciful. Even I have a green light to sin because very easy, I'll just go back and look at the mercy that I'll earn. The most foolish among mankind is those who use the ahadith in the ayat of Allah's mercy and forgiveness as a concession card to sin. These ahadith and ayat are for someone who fought his nafs and eventually, let's say, his nafs took the better of him and he fell into the sin and he ultimately regretted and he has no hope and he wants to come out and he read an ayah of Allah's mercy, alhamdulillah, and he embraced Allah's forgiveness and fought himself never ever to fall back into the sin. The hadith of mercy and forgiveness are for such a person so that he doesn't despair and lose hope because then that will be a disaster to lose hope in Allah. The fifth reason is to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And by Fahab ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he said, this is the strongest way to remain patient and avoid sins and transgression altogether. This is because the person obeys the one who he loves. When you love someone, you obey him. And the stronger the love of Allah exists in your heart, the more you want to obey him and the more you want to keep away from his prohibitions. When a person commits sins and transgression, it's because he has weak love for Allah in his heart. I tell you something, my brothers and sisters in Islam. Loving Allah is the greatest level of iman. That's, that's the pillar of every worship. Every single worship that we perform is out of our love for Allah And then it needs to have two other things, out of fear of Allah and in hope of His reward. There are, there are pillars for worship, yeah? There are three pillars for every worship and there are two conditions for every worship. The pillars of worship is that any worship you do, you do it out of love for Allah out of fear of his punishment and hoping in his reward and paradise and mercy. And then there are conditions. Number one, that you're supposed to be sincere, wanting your reward only from Allah and appreciation only from Allah. And there should be mutaba'ah. The other condition is that you need to execute this good deed and worship in accordance to the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So loving Allah is a great matter. And the one who truly loves someone else, 
from its signs is that he will obey him. And if you love something or love someone, you are passionate to get to it, right? As young people, when you were experiencing your marriage, you knew this. When your eyes fell on a sister that you loved, you did anything to get to her. This is, this is in the human being. Not only in humans, and in even other things. Sometimes you love something, you're desperate to get to it. Whoever, in his, whoever is into his cars and so on, knows what I will mean. Whoever is into his games or whatever, knows what I mean. Whoever's waiting for whatever it is to be released in the market, he wants to get to it. And when you love something, you have passion to get to it. You, would, you do whatever to get to it and to bring yourself closer to it because you believe that if you got it, there is tranquility within it. Whoever loves something, loves to meet it. Whoever loves something, loves to look at it. Whoever loves something, loves to listen to it. Whoever loves something, loves to be close to it. So, whoever loves Allah Azza wa he must also surely love to meet Allah Azza wa Whoever loves Allah, and loves to be close to him and loves his company, he would also love to see Allah and he would love to hear Allah and he would love everything that Allah loves and he would hate everything that Allah hates. So if a person knows that the sin will prevent him from all these goodnesses, because when you do a sin, you're doing what Allah hates and that could deprive you of meeting Allah with him being pleased with you. It could deprive you of listening to him and seeing him in the paradise. When you know this, you avoid sins altogether. And you will only do that which brings you closer to him. And my brothers and sisters in Islam, there is a difference between a person who abandons, abandons a sin due to his fear of Allah and his punishment. There's a difference between this person and a person who abandons the sin out of love of Allah Azza Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu, he said, Ni'mal abdu suhaib, law lam yakhaf illaha lam ya'sih. Umar radiyallahu anhu said about suhaib al-Rumi, what a blessed slave was suhaib al-Rumi radiyallahu anhu. If he had never feed Allah, he would have never disobeyed Allah azza wa jal. You know what that means? It means if he never feed Allah's punishment, he already had enough love for Allah azza wa jal, that would have prevented him from falling into the sin and disobeying Allah. But Suhaib radiallahu anhu loved Allah and feed Allah at the same time because we said that these two things must be in the heart. But the idea is avoiding a sin out of love for Allah, there's more sweetness to it and beauty to it than avoiding a sin out of fear of Allah So you need to grow your love for Allah in order for this strategy and method to be effective. Ibn al-Qayyim mentions something extremely important here. He says, the mere love will not bring about any results. Just loving will not bring any result. You need to love Allah alongside venerating and exalting Him. You need to love Allah while at the same time honoring Allah and respecting Allah These are two, they have to go hand in hand. You know, sometimes you can love someone without respecting him. You really then will not care how he responds to you. Yani for example, a child, if his parents let him go for the first wrong, let him go for the second wrong, 
He loves his parents. A child loves his parents. But now he doesn't care what kind of trouble he does in front of them because they let me go. He doesn't respect them. He loves them, but he does not honor them. So when he sees his dad or his mom, he's ready to get the permanent marker and just run across the wall and just look at him. I don't care. Not that that's a wrong thing to do, but the idea is to say to you that he, he loves, but there's no respect and honor. As opposed to children when they know their father arrived and just turn off the telephone or the TV or whatever it is. And so, one, alongside his love of Allah, he must respect and honor Allah Azzawajal. How do you honor Allah Azzawajal? By abundantly making dhikr of Allah. The more dhikr on your tongue, subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, allahu akbar, the morning adhkar, the evening adhkar, the adhkar after the prayer, the adhkar before you sleep, the adhkar during the day and during the night. The more you make dhikr of Allah until you respect Allah Azza wa You're in a process of honoring Allah Azza wa Now your love and honoring Allah, that goes together. Now you'll be able to stop and keep away from a sin. Because you respect Allah Azza wa You honor Him alongside your love. You will not fall into the sin. Now, subhanAllah. Sometimes we even have this among each other. You might love someone and you respect them a lot. So the sister loves another sister. She honors her, respects her. They were sitting together one day and one of them said something bad to another. But then she got confused. Did she get upset or not? I don't know. This is after they've separated, she's gone home, she's gone home. Starts playing on the mind. Maybe I upset her with what I said. So the phone comes out. WhatsApp voice. Assalamualaikum sister, Assalamualaikum brother, whoever it is. Allah, you know, I said one, two, three and I didn't mean it this way. You know, of course, our relationship, Allah, I have too much respect for you. I'm just sorry. Assalamualaikum. If you had that kind of attitude in your relationship with Allah Azza wa things would be healthy and good for you. Imagine, who does this during the day and the night? Do you at the end of the night sit down and observe your day? What did I say that was maybe wrong? What did I do today that maybe would have made Allah displeased with me? So at the end of the night, I stop and I begin to call out to Allah Azza wa Allah Azza wa I said such and such. I've wronged myself. And I regret what I had done and what I had said. And forgive me, O oh Allah, and bestow your mercy upon me. When you do this, if you're someone that not only loves Allah, but you respect and you honor your relationship with Allah, it's too precious. You can't just let go over and just sleep, not caring about what you did and said during the day. It's too mild. I have to get up and make wudu. And I need to really... Look into what I said and did during this day and I need to really seek forgiveness for it. Because I respect my relationship with Allah. I can't just let it go like this and sleep and not care about what I did. These are some of the ways in how you honor Allah Azza wa alongside loving Him. Number six. Listen very carefully. Having self-respect and honor and dignity for yourself. This will cause a person to refrain from anything that will humiliate or dishonor him and make him similar to the foolish. Number six means, it means this. Let me explain to you this. You know people 
when it comes to their, to, to their personalities, they have two types. You have people that have dignity and self-respect. They are noble. They don't do things that are foolish. They don't like foolishness. They always aspire to achieve excellence, right? Al-Ihsan in their life. They worship Allah as though Allah can see them. They purify themselves from environments of sin and from haram and from the sinners. They dislike what brings them humiliation and shame and dishonor. They keep away from it. These are men and women that have honor and nobility and self-respect. And these are the qualities and the traits of a believer. You have to have self-respect. It's called Al-Karamah Wal-Izzah. Allah Azza when He described the believers, He said, Turn away from foolishness and from ignorance. Turn away from it. He said, The believer, when he passes by foolishness and stupidity and nonsense, he walks past it in a dignified fashion. He has too much self-respect. I can't be among this rubbish. He walks away. Allah Azza wa Jal, he said in Surah Al-Mu'minun, That the believers, males and females, are those who keep away from nonsense. It's too humiliating for him. He doesn't come close to it. I have too much self-respect. I can't be around foolishness. This is one type of people. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna Allah jameelun yuhibbu al-jamal. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Verily Allah is beautiful and he loves beauty. And he loves the loftiness of affairs. Have self-respect. Allah loves the people that have self-respect. And he disapproves of pettiness and nonsense. He doesn't like for the believer to be around foolishness and nonsense. Have self-respect. Now, that's one type of people. They have self-respect. Such people, when it comes to a sin, he has too much self-respect to come near a sin. Oh, no. I got self-respect. I'm going to lock myself in a room for a few minutes. Do something haram. Nah. Oh, what a humiliation. Some of the salaf, they were asked, how did you earn your self-respect? How did you become honorable and noble? He said, by Allah, if people considered drinking water a humiliation, I would have never drank water in my life. Had a self-respect. What is humiliating in society? Keep away from it. Don't come near it. The other type of people are people that don't have self-respect. They're opposite. Wherever there's foolishness, you find them there. When they speak, they speak foolishness. When they do a deed, it is foolishly done. They don't care about their condition, they don't care about their state. They have no feelings, no regret, no self-accountability. No honor, no dignity, no self-respect whatsoever. These are people that will give you the word on something and then he doesn't care to follow up his word. He doesn't have any self-respect. Someone like this is going to fall into a sin. If he didn't respect himself in front of the people, you think he's going to respect himself in private when he's between him and the sin? He's humiliated anyway, he doesn't care. I tell you something, there's a big problem, yeah? It's a big problem in society. How did we end up with the majority of the world having no self-respect? I tell you something. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, 
from one of the signs of the hour, وَكَانَ زَعِيمُ الْقَوْمِ أَرْذَلَهُمْ From the signs of the hour is that the leader of the people becomes the most foolish among them. Today's world, there is no true genuine leadership, right? The whole world across the globe, whether it's disbelievers or believers, there's no true genuine leadership. There is something that is called social media. And then there is TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and uh, Twitter, WhatsApp and all this, YouTube. And whoever has the most followers, they are called influencers. These are the role models that the world has presented. Who are these people? Uh, kids. On YouTube, you might have the, the highest followed on YouTube is who? Mr. Beast. Hey, it sounds like a name of self-respect. Mr. Beast. 134 million followers. That's five times Australia, all of it. But yeah, a kid. Foolishness. Naked woman, naked men, with 400 million followers. How many, how many times Australia is that? Gangsters, actors, dancers, singers, sportsmen, take it. These are the influencers of today and they're the role models. And what happens when people see these people doing foolishness, talking foolishness, Acting foolishly, dressing foolishly, naturally it has an effect on the one who follows them. When the average human being is scrolling about two to three hundred meters a day, as a UK study mentioned, he becomes affected slowly, slowly. Oh, you don't have any more self respect. Why? Because your role models have no self respect. And this becomes a problem. How is the believer going to earn self-respect? By choosing a correct role model for himself. By being around people of knowledge, people of wisdom. By being around people that have self-respect and honor and dignity. You are the environment that you're in. So, Self-respect will keep you away from sins. Go and find self-respect. And I told you how it's earned and sought. People of knowledge, al-masjid, people of wisdom, right? People that respect themselves and soon, soon enough you'll become like them. Now, subhanallah, today, yani, this, people don't have self-respect, right? Look, look, look what we have today. You'll have men dancing at marriages, at a marriage ceremony. Isn't that humiliating for a man to dance? And that there's women and men mixed in a wedding ceremony. And I, I just don't look at it because it's humiliating. I'm embarrassed for them. How? You see people today, men, grown-up men, Go to a restaurant and hey, he's on his phone taking a picture of the food. Yeah, he have some self-respect, sit down. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why? Why the picture of the food? Why? Why? Where did you get this from? Where did this culture come from? To share it. What do you want from people's like? Why do you want people to comment on what you ate? 
Why do you want people to share what you ate? Why do you want people to see what you ate? Where did this come from? This stems from no self-respect, from no dignity, no honor. That's where it comes from. You find grown men standing outside a gender review party, having spent thousands of dollars just to tell me if it's a boy or a girl. And then he's, and pink is coming out of it. Yeah, respect yourself. Isn't that humiliating? Why has all this? Because the role models and the influences of this world, the life have dragged everyone in. And the Muslim doesn't know any better, he follows. Well, I told you, there's no leadership in the world. This is what we have. And as a result, you produce thousands of thousands of men that there is no self-respect within them. Where are we up to? Seven. Do we have time? Number seven, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah mentions to have resounding knowledge of the evil consequences of sins. When you know the consequences of sins, what happens after a sin, that'll be enough to keep you away from the sin. Yani, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah he mentions well, this is a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When a person sins, every sin he does, it is a black dot in his heart. Black dot, black dot, until the entire heart becomes black. There are consequences to the sins. The heart becomes black. It dies. Darkness in the face. A gloomy dark heart. Depression. Stress. Anxiety. Sadness and pain. Confinement of the heart. Extreme unrest, lack of focus, weakness when facing the enemy, spoiling the heart's beauty, confusion in all your affairs. These are the consequences of sins. A sense of abandonment, being overpowered by one's enemy, failing to benefit from your own knowledge and not acting on your knowledge, forgetting to act on what you have learned and having weakness in this matter until the heart dies altogether. These are consequences. You know Ka'ab ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, a companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, fell into a major sin. And that is that when the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the army of 30,000 went towards Tabuk, and going towards that battle was wajib for everyone that was in Medina. And of course, avoiding, the worship, avoiding a battle and not attending is a major sin. At-takhalluf al-ghazu is a major sin. Ka'ab radiallahu anhu decided not to join. His nafs got the better of him and he remained in Medina. What happened happened. Qaddarallahu ma sha'afa'an. He committed this major sin. You know the terrible consequence that happened to him afterwards. And that's a companion and that's one sin. Allah Azza wa Jal describes the consequence upon a sahabi. He says, Hatta idha daqat alayhim al-ardu bima rahubat wa daqat alayhim anfusuhum. They faced a massive calamity. Allah described that the earth became tight upon them and their soul became tight upon them. Their soul weighed heavy on them because of a sin they committed. You know what this means? They experienced an external calamity and an internal calamity. I tell you what this means. Sometimes a person can experience an internal calamity, meaning you may be depressed and sad that's an internal calamity. 
But on the outside, things are pretty good for you. You have wealth, you have opportunity, people love you, people care for you. Also, you can have it the other way around. Sometimes you can experience an external calamity. People hate you, people abuse you, people insult you, mock you. But inside, oh, you're happy, you're content, you don't care about what people say and do. These companions are experiencing both at the same time. Internal and external. Allah The earth became tight upon them even though it is vast and spacious. Referring to the fact that they were boycotted. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam commanded the entire Medina. No one talked to, they were three companions among them, Ka'ab. No one talked to them. Not a single word. Later on, he commanded their wives to abandon them and leave them. This is getting really, this is a huge external calamity. And it weighed heavy on their soul on the inside. Internal calamity referring to the fact that they were overwhelmed by sadness and grief and pain. Ka'ab radiallahu anhu would say the worst thing I ever thought during this time is what if the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa died during the time he is boycotting us? He would have died having never spoken to us. He would have died displeased with me. Imagine You'd rather the world be upset except the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa This is the kind of life they faced for 40 days. 40 days? 50 days? I forgot. Until their tawbah was revealed and Allah Azza accepted. But that was the consequence of one sin. And that was a companion. That's what Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah is saying. Focus on the consequences of the sins. The sinners face, they face humiliation after dignity and honor. The sinner becomes a slave to his desire and to his enemy when once his enemy used to fear him. The sinner loses authority of himself, but shaitan overrides him and takes him. The sinner, the safety and peace and contentment that he had in the heart is gone and it's replaced with fear and agony. These are some of these matters. In addition to this, time will be wasted. The greatest blessing, time. Every second spent in sin will never come back. And you'll be questioned about it. That's a consequence of sin. My brothers and sisters in Islam, time is your capital. You need to invest your time in doing what is pleasing to Allah in hope to attain Allah's pleasure and the paradise. And we said sins deprive a person from sweetness of worship and iman. And from the consequences of the sin is that one leads to another because Allah said, do not follow the footsteps of shaitan. Why did he say footsteps of shaitan? Because a footstep is one after the other. You go into one, you'll be in another, second, third, until you make a tawbah and pull out of the cycle of sins altogether. Shusar. What time is uh, Salah? Oh, we have the one, 10 more minutes. Ajayid, okay. Bismillah, 10 more minutes. I go very quickly, inshallah. And it's up to you. You want to continue or we stop? Tayyib, quickly, inshallah ta'ala, number eight. Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, he said, to stop having false worldly hope, meaning stop dreaming of this worldly life and start having solid conviction and certainty that you will soon depart this worldly life. You know, the quicker you realize that we are only travelers in this worldly life, then this will help you avoid a sin. Because a traveler, 
when he enters a town, he is very determined to leave it and move. You know when you travel on the road and you're going to somewhere and you stop at the servo? Who hangs out at a servo when he's got a long drive? You go in, Allah, hurry up, hurry up. Allah, he needs to go to the bathroom, get in and get up, Allah, quick. And, you want to go? And you only take what you need and you're in a rush and the car's still on, you don't turn it off. That's a traveler. That's the idea of a traveler. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said, be in this worldly life as a traveler or a stranger. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said in another hadith, be in this worldly life like a rider who rests under the shade of a tree and then he moves on. As a traveler, you don't sit down. You don't. And then worse, worse is when you're a traveler and you're packing up things you don't need. And that's the person who commits sins. A traveler, you need to be nice and quick. You need to be ready. You're coming in, you're departing soon. Why would you carry baggage you don't want? And that's sins. Why do you, why do you, why do you want to meet Allah with all of this? Why would you want to burden yourself? Allah he says about those who come on the day of judgment with sins. They're carrying their sins on their back. Why did you take it with you for? You could have just went there nice and light, traveled lightly to Allah with your righteous deeds and your good actions. So the more you come to the realization that we are only travelers and stop having delusional dreams of this worldly life and ask, I need to build this and I want to own this and I need to do this and I need to fix this. And by the way, if you went to the cemetery today, I guarantee you, Every single person that is buried, if you ask them, brother, sister, did you finish all your worldly affairs before you entered this grave? No one will say, I finished. There is no one in the grave that says, Alhamdulillah, I finished everything and I was ready. So I went into my hole, finally, to rest. Had to ask him in his grave, he'll say, well, I was on my way to work and accident, but subhanAllah, I went. Someone else, well, I had plans to marry off my son, but it cut, cut short. Couldn't fulfill my dream. Went there, what about the other one? I wanted to enjoy this kind of food and I want to travel here and I wanted to achieve this and I wanted to learn this, but khalas, it's gone. Hey, khalas, understand, there is nothing in this worldly life that will reach satisfaction and peace. Impossible. There's always unfinished business. So get rid of the dreams and start focusing on what's important and what's certain, and that is that you're leaving very soon. And then inshallah will keep you away from the sins. Number nine, avoiding, Ibn Qayyim says, very interesting. He says, avoiding excess in eating, drinking, clothing, sleeping, and gathering with the people. How does this make sense? He says, this is because the strong temptation to sin it comes from these over-indulgements. Thus, when the permissible no longer satisfies a person, he moves to the impermissible. I'll tell you something, my brothers and sisters in Islam. These are five things you're supposed to avoid excess of. What are they? Eating, drinking, clothing, sleeping, and gathering with the people. Take what you need of these five and do not over-indulge. Why? Because when you in overindulge in, in that which is permissible, right? You ate until you're full. You drank until you're full. 
You slept 10 hours until there's no more sleep in your eyes. You dressed the best and the very best of the best. You hanged out with people the entire night and you came back home just before Fajr. Excess of this stuff, you know what it does? I'm not telling you that this was haram. But in overindulging is what, in what is permissible, you will find that there's no satisfaction in this. So now where are you going to go? There's nowhere except to go now to Al-Haram. So that's why you should avoid. And you know in Ramadan, when we're fasting, the vast majority of people that are normal, they don't develop a desire for sin when they're fasting. Isn't that true? Who here sins when he is fasting? If an apple, if al-halal, you will not eat it even if you are in a room alone. No one does a sin in Ramadan. Why? You know why? You're starving. So you're thinking of something halal, food. You don't have time to think of haram. Give me the halal first. So when you eat only that which you need and sleep only that which you need, you always have a desire to go again and eat when you get, you know, you're only now looking towards what is halal. And I tell you something, when it comes to food and drink, and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, that the son of Adam did not fill a vessel worse than his stomach. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, It is enough. Listen, this is the advice of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Not some nutritional expert or whatever. This is wahi. He said, it is enough for the son of Adam to eat a few morsels of food that will keep his back straight. Because that's the purpose of food. You're supposed to eat and get up energized and refreshed. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then he said, if, if you wanted to go all out, let's say a few morsels and it wasn't enough. You want to go all out that day. Then no problems, go all out, but a third for your stomach, a third of food, a third for drink, a third for air. You know the stomach, from one side to the other, in terms of its length, is around 25 centimeters. And in width, it's around 16 centimeters. And an empty stomach that is relaxed fills about one quarter, which is about 933 mils. If it's full to the max and uh, yeah, filled stretched, it can fill about four liters or four kilos of food. That's if it's stretched. When it's relaxed, a third of that is about three to 350, 300 to 350 grams. That's a third. Now, what are we eating every day? You see the idea, this is why when a person overeats, he fills the first third, food, you should have stopped there, the next one is for water, should stop there, leave a bit of room to breathe, and you filled it all up with food, wallah, I'm sleepy, yeah, I mean, after you eat, you're supposed to be energy, like a car, when there's no petrol, you fill it up, it's ready to go, so that you filled it, what happened today, when we filled ourselves, we sat and we're lazy, and I can't move, well, well I need to sit down a little bit. It's because we avoided Sunnah al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We avoided it. So this is what happened. When the stomach is full and gee, get the food out of my face, I can't see it. Now 
I think of a sin. Now the desire comes up. Because I'm, oh, I'm full of the halal. What else? Didn't satisfy me. I want something else now. Now you rush to that haram. Meanwhile, if you followed the prophetic advice, fill the third, that you have energy, you have strength, you're moving up and about, you're able to worship Allah, tiredness is gone, al kasal is removed. Overeating disturbs the body and it disturbs the heart as well. And this is not to say that it is haram to eat until you go in ex excess. From time to time, that's okay. Lenin Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, once he was with Abu Hurairah, and he gave Abu Hurairah a bowl of milk, and he said to him, drink, and he drank. So he gave it back to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him, drink, ya Abu Hurairah. He drank again, gave it, returned it three, four times. Fourth, he said to him, drink. Abu Hurairah said, la ajidu lahu maslaka. I'm full. There's no more room for it. From time to time, you can fill until there's no more room. But not the norm. If you make this a habit and you consistently on this, harms the body, harms the heart, harms the relationship with Allah. Laziness settles in, the desire to sin comes there and a person can no longer control himself. Finally, this one is very short. This is the last one, the 10th. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah said, to sum up the matter, he said, it is for the branches of Iman to firmly be rooted in the heart. He said thus, a person is patient in avoiding sins only when his Iman is strong. If Iman is weak, a person will commit sins. If Iman is strong, a person will avoid sins. Iman is to fill the heart with the belief that Allah is watching. Is to fill the heart with the belief that Allah Azza wa Jal has prepared a punishment for the sinners. And he has prepared a paradise and mercy and blessings for the believers. When that iman is strong, you will be away from sins. And this is why Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Al-Iman yakhlaq. Iman wears and tears away. So he said, Ask Allah to renew iman. So the more you take care of your iman and you renew it and you refresh it, you read some Qur'an, you memorize Qur'an, you pray, you fast, you do dhikr, you attend a charity, you give in sadaqah, you command the good, you forbid the evil. And this refreshes the iman. So long as the iman is refreshed and alive, this keeps you away from sins altogether. Wallahu alam. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal protect us from sins and from his anger and from his punishment. We ask him subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our gathering. And we ask him subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our sins and our shortcomings and to accept us all and to admit us into the highest levels of the paradise. Innahu waliyu dhalika al-qadiru alayhu sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.